Welcome back, Red Pills, to the Matrix Online Revisited Podcast. I am Vesuvius, and this is our sixth episode of our speculation podcast series, The Original Matrix 4, where we discuss the Matrix Online storyline and speculate as to what story elements might make it into the upcoming Matrix 4. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast for notifications on upcoming episodes. We're on Spotify, iTunes, and we're hosted at anchor.fm. Also, follow me on Instagram as that's a hub for my online exploits. I've got daily Matrix content there, as well as links to my YouTube channel and my Etsy shop, where I've got some cool real-world Matrix Online items, like beta t-shirts, beta hats, and the upcoming Burning Eye t-shirt, as well as some other cool things I've put together. But for now, enjoy episode 6. Okay, so are, are we uh, agreed that we can start start going into 6.1? Please. Yes. <laughs> Investigation reveals that Anom was abused by his mother and the cheat codes are amplifying his psychosis. A kill code is crafted for Anom and the machines have his location. Also, the twins are reunited with the Merovingian. So, uh, Lazarus, any thoughts on the twins? No, I mean, they, they're great, classic, iconic characters of the Matrix. I think most people would love to see them in the Matrix 4. Um, I, I don't know that we're going to see them in the Matrix 4, but they're definitely fan favorites. It was, it was fun to see them in the game. The, the, the twins, as you'll recall, in the chase scene, they went immaterial right as they were being blown up, so it was ambiguous whether or not they survived. It turns out their fragments of their, their, their code were floating around in the Matrix's atmosphere for, I guess, years at this point? Maybe months at the most. I'm not sure exactly how much time has passed, but to the point where uh, Merovingian operatives are able to gather the fragments and reassemble them, but they don't do it completely right the first time, in that you have a torso floating around with no legs and a pair of legs and hips walking around with nothing above. It is ridiculous, and even though I... I'm a hypocrite here for saying Unlimited looks stupid and when work in a movie. I really <laughs> want to see the half-twins in a movie. <laughs> the twins are supposed to be ghosts, uh, you know, with just a white figure. And, of course, they're, they're, they're totally badass. Uh, if that's their explanation this, for them coming back, I'm all in. Uh, the, the torso and the legs are just the game mechanics trying to explain that they are fragments and they're trying to be reassembled. So it was cool to to see them back and to see the, you know, their game model was really cool. They looked spot on to me. In the movie, I think if they have a purpose that they might be sought after and quote unquote reassembled. Uh, But what could that purpose be? You know, what could the the ghosts, what could the twins do? Why are they needed in the Matrix 4? Well, here's the thing. If, if you know, again, their mytholo- their mythological counterpart are are ghosts. You know, they're 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 pale as death, and they can pass through solid matter in a very ghost-like form. If we're talking about dead characters coming back, i.e., Neo and Trinity, maybe there's some connection to the afterlife or or whatever the digital equivalent is that they might have that was never expounded upon. That's just and- my spur of the moment thought on them. Well, the other thing, too, is, I mean, they do work for the Merovingian, and the Merovingian uh, does have a way to bring back uh, programs. I mean, they have different shells, so to speak, but we've, we've, it's already been established that the Merovingian has a way to survive resets. 
and you know other programs he 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 shares this with programs that he wants to anyway sure i think at the bare minimum they'll just be brought back to be his henchmen again and that's good too they're a very visually memorable set of characters and it'll be fun to see him fight again i i I also want to point out how how little we're actually talking about the main storyline at this point (laughs) But no, but I I agree. I think that when you're talking about the twins and how they could be worked into the Matrix Four, it doesn't have to be crazy. I mean, it it wasn't definitive that they were dead because they represent ghosts, and we didn't see anything. You know, again, there's no spot or scene where it says check them, and they say they're dead. <laughs> we, I, I I almost expected to see them in Revolutions. Yeah, yeah. You know, that'd be great if they're just showing, just like, showing them at the club hell bar, nursing their wounds, looking a little, <laughs> a little slightly burnt. You know, and like or, when, uh, one, of, one of them in half at the bar, you know. Or or just when, when they see Morpheus, Trinity, and uh, Seraph walk in, just head out the exit. Like, nah, we, we just did this yesterday. We don't get paid enough for this. <laughs> okay, so moving on to chapter 6.2. Agents track down Anom. And shoot him down. Yay! They retrieve sixty-five percent of the codes, the the cheat codes. They request access to Zion's mainframe to foresee more human threats to the truce and the Matrix. EPN reveal a Sentinel army outside Zion, ready to strike. Cypherites offer intel to the machines on Zion and EPN. Okay, so now we're really starting to get into you know this dynamic where it's man versus machine and of course we have our splinter factions the cypherates and zion providing some important intel so starshwar thoughts on uh wrapping up the cheat codes and the uh, machine's request to zion the anome arc is it's a filler arc it, it it gets some pieces into play where they need to be it gets niobe not going after the merovingian it gets the machines getting this briefcase back but other than that it really doesn't serve much of a purpose and it took about a year in real time for that to play out, and I think that's why a lot of Matrix Online players have such disdain for it in that they spent a lot of time on something that really didn't matter that much. So Anom, you know, the machines emulating Anom's abusive mother to terrify him enough to get a good shot and to kill him, that's fine, whatever. They're not using any of that in the movie. There, there's a minor bit of trivia that, that's, you know what, nah, not, not even, not even worth discussing. Uh, the... the it's just like the instant he's dead, the story comes back in a good way. That the machines justify wanting access codes to the Zion mainframe, something Smith wanted way back, because you know they have a nasty habit of look at all these insane people you woke up, look at all the trouble they caused. We really want to just you know look through your personnel files and root out any psychopaths to stop this from happening again. Also, if you could give us Niobe's maiden name, that'd just be the best. Her mother's name, maybe her pin number. It's not suspicious at all. Lazarus, this kind of uh, seems like what YouTube is doing to its users. <laughs> like they just want to run scans on everybody. Oh, they're definitely uh, checking so- my videos. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thoughts on uh, this new dynamic between Zion and Machine? It's it's back to the Cold War. It's 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 you know we we had a common enemy again, and it's done. Maybe it's your fault for having psychopaths in your ranks. Maybe it's the machine's fault for having these incredibly dangerous things not under better protection uh, in you know, the mutual distrust. Whereas E Pluribus Neo is like, guys, guys, Sentinels, 
you know, the truce is a promise. We don't have an actual way of enforcing that. And of course, the cypherites being their sly, sneaky, saboteur ways are like to the machines. Hey guys, you want to know the goods on Zion? Just, just, just listen, listen to what we have to say. So again, it was just, it was just a wonderful breath, breath of fresh air to get back to the plot. <laughs> Unlimited is not going to be in the movie, I'm positive. Even though superhero movies are the biggest thing ever right now, if they want to do something like that, it will take a completely different form. Yeah, you know, it's my opinion, Unlimited was just not Matrixy. So for it to be in the Matrix Online was very frustrating, and like you said, it was very time-consuming. If it had been a month, whatever, it took, I think it was over a year. From the introduction of the briefcase to Anom's death, I think it was over here. And that's there, technically it never ended because one of the uh, Unlimits, I believe his name was Bjorn or Baron, he uh, wound up working for the Merovingian because he was, he was just madly in love with Persephone. And technically he worked for her. I was kind of always waiting for her to like use him in some sort of you know attempt to seize power, but that was that never happened. But um, one thing I was thinking here, because uh, you did mention, and I agree, I don't think that I think that the chance of an unlimited storyline in the Matrix Four is very, very slim. But when you're talking about the moment where Anom is killed, and you have the setup with the agent, um, the twist there, uh, and you did kind of mention it. I mean, it was it reminded me a lot of uh, the Terminator Two towards the end scene when you have the T1000 uh, pretending to be yeah Sarah Connor calling the John, you know, because uh, this agent pretended to be her, I mean, to be Anom's mother. And in the movies, when we see the agents take over bodies, they just look like agents. So this could be an effect where we see, you know, infiltrator agents who look like someone that someone knows. That could be, you know, something that we might maybe see. That, that Yeah, the good point. That, that could be, and they do expound on that idea later on in a much more interesting way. I just, again, the core of Unlimited is they're just crazy cartoon bad guys. There, there, there's no drama there. There's no meat to it. It's not interesting. But I, what, for me, what was interesting as a player at the time, especially as a machinist, was, you know, this pivot back to the drama of the real world and that there are sentinels outside of Zion. Now, I know one of the big complaints that Terminator fans have with the sequels is not enough future war, but I feel like, you know, the fans of the Matrix who finished the trilogy, you know, we don't really have that complaint because Revolutions, you know, pretty much takes place mostly in the real world. So we didn't have, you know, that same lack of seeing the future. Um, I am very curious to see how much of that balance or lack thereof we're going to see in the Matrix 4. You know, is it going to be completely in the Matrix? Is there going to be a lot of outside world stuff? I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they choose to balance that out. Unless they adapt a very specific arc of Matrix Online we'll get to uh, next time, I think. I, I think they'll probably go back to the level of, of real-world stuff in the first movie, where if there's not like an imminent sentinel attack, they're probably just going to focus most of their efforts on inside the hovercrafts and, and you know, in the Matrix itself. Revolutions, there's, you know, the race to rescue Neo from the train station at the beginning, and there's the incredible final battle with Smith at the end, and most of the middle is just shooting robots again and again and again. And I, I still love the trilogy. I love this, the franchise, but that is the biggest problem with Revolutions. And I, I, I don't think they would, I don't think there's anything more to show in that regard, unless they have some really new ideas. They've had no, some new I, ideas. And that's, that was my point. I, I think we got our fill. I, I don't think that fans of The Matrix have that complaint. I don't think we share that problem. 
Also, Terminator fans did get a future war movie. They just forgot to put in the purple laser beams. If if they'd had the purple <laughs> laser beams, I think Terminator fit. Do you disagree? <laughs> if if that Christian Bale movie, it was it was it wasn't great, but if they had the purple laser beams, I'd have been fine with that thing. Yeah, no, we're sidetracking, but I just wanted to say because I I I don't hate Salvation as much as most, but I think that, and you mentioned the Christian Bale thing, but I think that where people pivot and and don't accept it as the future war because like you said there's there's not a whole lot of purple laser but when you're talking about matrix revolutions we got plenty of apu rounds i mean they were shooting robots for an hour (laughs) you don't get that in salvation and salvation is also the dark horse because john connor is in it but he's not the main character the infiltrator unit is the main character and in that regard um you know, I thought that it's the one that's actually different in terms of, yes, there's still some of the repackaged chase stuff, but it's, you know, like I said, by John Connor or Sarah not being the main character, it makes it it makes it the standalone. But in terms of the future war that there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, there was that one really big machine and they had the motorcycle machines, but it's still those were all like chases. It wasn't you know, they want. When they when the fans of Terminator say they want future war, they want the robot version of Braveheart. Yeah, uh, you know Terminator and Matrix fans have always sort of had a sort of solidarity. I think uh, going back to the first movie, uh, with their sort of similar futures and having sort of the messianic character that's destined oh, to save. Don't get me started on Miss Sophia Stewart. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but uh, but you know beside that point, uh, yeah, I think we went a little off. You know. The, the the real world may play a role in the new movie, but I don't think they will spend nearly as much time there. I think they have exhausted, from at least a visual standpoint, what they can do with that, unless they have some really innovative ideas that have not, you know, been depicted in any Matrix medium uh, thus far. Well, technology is kind of on the side of, you know, uh, coming up with some kind of fresh look, especially you know if, if you're looking at the the Marvel movies, you know, they they've gone to so many planets and they all have a different look. And personally, I think that there's going to be something big in the real world that is that I, I think is going to be the focus of Matrix Four. Yep, there's one thing they could do. There's one thing they could do. Again, the whole supposed reason for the Matrix is because machines can't use solar power anymore because human beings destroyed the sky. Great move. Uh, what, we never really got into what happens if they fix that. What the heck happens if they fix it? That could be interesting. We got a little ray of sunshine peeking down. That could change everything. Well, and and my kind of take on it was that they didn't care to fix it because if you look to Goliath and the imminent threat coming from outside the, the dark storm, yeah, you know, and that's coming from outside the dark storm cloud. They sent a ship past it, so it's not like you know. And then uh, in the last video I did. You know, you have um, Neo and Trinity and the logos fly up above it and then come back down and turn the ship back on. So it's not like it's this perfect thing that cannot be broken. I mean, they could definitely get around it if they really put their AI minds to it. That that could that could lead to a, to a question of like, do the machines choose to not do that? That that's definitely my opinion. That's how I feel. Like they they just don't care. I never got around to reading the comics and. Uh... As soon as I get out of my health issues and start sleeping again and get my brain back, I will. But uh, so Goliath, was it an asteroid or was it aliens that that were coming from beyond the sky? Uh, both. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> oh, oh, aliens were chucking asteroids at Earth. Yeah, that was the idea. Starship Troopers was happening. 
<laughs> I forgot that that oh. was part of Starship Troopers plot. Oh wow! I did. I I gotta read these. As soon as I get my brain back, I'm reading these. Yeah, you know the 20th anniversary. You know, and it's got it, it's got my Paul Chadwick "Let It All Fall Down" in color in there too. I was very excited about that. The two points I wanted to bring up was in the cinematic, the agents recovered the cheat codes and they dumped them in the aqueduct. Of course, <laughs> last time we talked, I thought that this was completely asinine. And Star Schwar, you said that you had um, uh, a reason. Yes. And before we get into that, the next thing that I wanted to bring up was EPN lets Zion know that there's an army of Sentinels outside Zion. My question is, do the machines lie? They have a truce, but they are putting their pieces in place that if anything goes wrong, they are they have the upper hand. So uh, first we'll talk, if you would, refresh our memory about why the agents yeah. dumped these cheat codes willy-nilly into the river. Yes. That's, what, you know, that's a moment that I, I think a lot of people were upset and was like, why did you do this, you idiots? These were the most... All right, so yes, again, we're not embellishing the... The uh, the agents, having finally recovered the cheat codes, the things that gave the unlimited their powers, these dangerous upgrade codes, just dump them haphazardly into the aqueduct that runs through the middle of the city and walk off without even checking to make sure they're all in there. Here's the thing. Yeah, there's like some like on the sidewalk, like right. Yeah, there's like one bottle on the corner. Someone could grab it. A bird could drink it. Which actually would I'd love to see what would happen to that bird. Uh, Here's the thing. The agents weren't being stupid. They turned to a higher power for advice. There is a mission for the machines before that happened where the agents ask the Oracle's advice on something. We don't know what it is, but she asks for something pretty pricey in return. She asks for a list of exile programs she's fond of to be given amnesty, to no longer be marked for deletion. And the machines do it. So whatever they asked from her had to be something important. And since it never comes up again, it has to be the editor, hey, what do we do with this briefcase? And she says, chuck it in the river. And considering what happens after they chuck it in the river, I think she saw what was happening and saw it needed to happen. And I'm glad that you brought up the Oracle because, you know, V asked us, do the machines lie? And we clearly saw that the Oracle was capable of lying. And it, it's always been my opinion that the architect is the only one that's absolute with his delivery and the truth. And after that, it's open season. I mean, even the Sentinels, you know, who are... Spoiler. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Uh, maybe edit that part out, Vesuvius. We must control this information. Okay, so, uh, you know, it's it's my opinion that some of the machines lie, but... You know, it just makes for an interesting story. I think the machines will approach any sort of promise in very sort of legalese way, in that if there is a loophole, if there is something in there, they will use it to their advantage. As for whether or not they lie, of course they lie. The Matrix itself is the best lie ever told. As for to what extent they are honest in their dealings with Zion, we're going to get into that in a big way soon. And I, I, I think that the couple in Mobile Ave would be an exception. I, I believe that they are also, uh, you know, being truthful with Neo and that Ramakandra. And I always forget the, the male's name. Kamala and Sati? Yeah, Sati's parents, basically. Oh, about that. That's right. Just one last thing on that. 
was Ram, did Ramakandra say he was was involved with uh, disposal of of, uh, of dead bodies, or am I am I misremembering? Recycling systems manager, I believe, is exactly how he worded it. And isn't that also he was the assassin's boss? As I say, he had, he had some connection to the assassin. Then, interesting. And I don't think that was ever fleshed out. I only remember reading about it on the forums. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if if the assassin had taken the mask off and that's who was under there and that was the price he had to pay for getting Sati's safety to kill Morpheus? That's how you make the assassin an interesting character. Make him someone we know. Now that's a twist. <laughs> make him someone we like. Yeah, that'd be, uh, I didn't know he could kick ass like that. Well, we never saw him do anything. And, you know, again, maybe, uh, he didn't really, Assassin didn't really kick ass so much. He, he, he shot guns well and could turn into flies. So, you know, he was a good shot, though. Well, I think he had a mix of all three, uh, combat trees. And, and to that point, though, I mean, you know, uh, Ramakandra is still a program and we're still talking about inside the Matrix, so. Chapter 6.3, Sati is kidnapped by the Commandos and Seraph is presumed dead. Elite Commandos are undetectable due to bodysuits. Sati's absence is destabilizing the Matrix's weather system. Uh, Cypherites help search for Sati while EPN provide intel on Stalingrad, the general's base in the real world, by way of code pulse hacking devices similar to the, uh, code, the, the code bombs from the earlier chapters. The Merovingian approaches the general in search of a kill code for the Oracle. Okay, so Lazarus, thoughts on chapter 6.3 and uh, these story elements and characters and how they might pertain to the upcoming Matrix 4. Well, um, it's funny that, you know, I'm not really realizing this until we're all the way here in chapter 6.3 because, you know, Sati makes cameos as early as the first chapter in terms of the cinematics. But I don't know if we really talked about it earlier, but, you know, she did have a lot of importance in terms of her, you know, um, symbolism and the new version of the Matrix. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we actually see even perhaps like an adult version, like she's all grown up in the Matrix for, uh, you know, we really don't know where we're going to fall timeline wise. But just for the sake of speculation, you know, I think her cameo character wise um, is actually something that I, I kind of favor the more I think about it, you know, especially like I said, now that we're in 6.3 and, and this part of her storyline in terms of being kidnapped by the commandos is really making me think that we might see a, a new version of her in this. Uh, you know, that raises a good question. Do machine program shells actually age? We witnessed such a small portion of time, you know, cumulatively from the start of Matrix 1 to the end of MXO, I don't think we have enough information to go on one way or the other unless there's some explicit information about them uh, aging or not. I typically think that, yes, they do age, just because, you know, they're, they're not, all, not all the programs are children, not all of them are young people. You know, even Agent Smith seemed a little bit older than the other agents, and even when in Reloaded, those agents seemed a little bit younger. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's just my opinion. But as you said, you know, there's, there's nothing to go on so far. Yeah, there is one more piece of evidence. Uh, since the Merovingian apparently has to use the bathroom, if they have that biological process, I guess aging would also be in, in the equation somewhere. Um, back on point with Sati and her abduction. Um, uh, Laz made a good point. If we haven't covered this yet... Uh, at the very end of Matrix Revolution, Sati makes a beautiful sunrise for what Neo did. 
If you watch the movies and pay very close attention to the sky, that is the first time we see a blue sky in the Matrix itself. Uh, and in the game, it stays true to that. In most states, it's sort of overcast, gray or green kind of, you know, greenish hue to the sky. It's only blue on certain days, which are called, I believe, were they called Sati Saturdays, Sati Sundays, or was that just a fan term? I think it was Sundays. I think it was Sundays. It, it wasn't literally a real time. The day-night cycle in the game was faster than, than real life. Actually, you could change it in your user options. It was not set by the server. So you could have some crazy uh, time lapse if you wanted to. Back back, back on point. Uh, so she definitely has some, impar- some important control over the Matrix's weather. And by introducing the blue sky, making it seemingly a happier place in honor of Neo's peace, and suddenly she's gone and things go haywire. I believe it, the sky started turning orange at this point, or was that a little later? Yeah, I just remember like some blue and some pink. Uh, but, oh, you mean as as After her abduction. Yeah, it was As like, a result of her... Yeah, it was like It was red. orange. It, I think for a while it was orange, and then it was like blood red. It, it was a very, very stark, very unique image. And we, we, we have a little... little uh, uh, precursor to that in the movies and that when Smith had taken over everyone, it was constant state of uh, you know, thunderstorms and rain and downpour. So you know, Sati was sort of reversing that in a way. And when she's gone, things start breaking. So again, way back in Enter the Matrix, Oracle said Sati was important to the future of both worlds, I believe. And uh, we still never got 100% clarification of what that is. So her, I think her importance will definitely be expounded upon in the new movie, to what extent, uh, it's too early to say. But if it's going to be through reenacting the general's uh, abduction of her, I, I, I can get behind that. Yeah, and they they do have a female lead. I can't produce her name right now because it's not uh, an actress that I'm familiar with. But they say that she's going to be a lead and a Neo-like character. And I really think that Sati is kind of the future of the storyline, even though she's not... You know, even coming from the game, she's not an overly popular character, but she is supposed to be very important. And, you know, I've been studying this Matrix trilogy and the game storyline for a long, long time. I'm still not exactly certain what she does. So uh, her being in this movie is absolutely a direction that I expect. I'm just not sure what direction they're going to go with. I think that's a great observation that you just picked up on in terms of, I believe her name is Jessica Henwick uh, as the actress that you're referring to in terms of the casting. But when they say Neo like character, I mean, that could be the ultimate pump fake in terms of her just being an adult version of Sati. Um, you know, when you're talking about the look though, uh, I don't know that she can pass for the child of uh, Ramakandra, but um, another point though, that star Shore made in terms of the, the funky coloring of the sky that she painted in the matrix um, I believe the cinema, excuse me, cinematographer from Vanilla Sky is being used for this because he worked with the, the Wachowskis on a different project. It might not be the cinematographer. I got to check the production credit there. But um, I remember distinctly Vanilla Sky having that very, you know, chemtrail looking uh, sky at, at uh, certain parts of that movie as well. Yeah, that, um, that was have... actually a pretty good movie visually. Uh, that, that was a nice movie to, to watch. Haven't seen that one yet. However, uh, I I hadn't even considered the idea of Sati. When someone says Neo-like character, you know, I assume that means 
protagonist audience proxy who's going to get unplugged and or just be the main human Red Hill character. I hadn't even considered it, the movie being from the perspective of a program. That would be really that'd be really different. That'd be interesting territory. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't even think of that until V, you know, just started talking about the character just now. That's great. We were getting some out-of-the-box ideas. I like it. So the other uh, story element that kind of leads into uh, the other characters is that since the since Sati's absence is destabilizing the Matrix, you now have the Cypherites helping with kind of like a Zion cause, which is trying to find Sati and kind of restore the stability of the Matrix. Well, here's the thing. You say Zion cause because the Oracle has such a good relationship with the Zion characters we all know, but... She has a relationship with just about everyone. Even I, I think she's even been nice to some of the Merovingians people on occasion. The, the Cypherites, it's a purely pragmatic interest on their part. They want to keep the Matrix exactly the way it is, want to keep people nice and blissful and aware. And if people start looking outside and seeing, hey, sky's broken, that's, that's not good for them. But again, maybe they, I, I, I don't know, do the Cypherites legitimately like the Oracle? Uh, was I, Or was that just sort of a... You know, if you have something interesting to tell us, we'll listen type uh, relationship. I don't know. I, I role played a, as, a, uh, as a machinist, but not a cypherite uh, at times. And, you know, I didn't really throw myself into it very much, but um, not really sure about the Oracle and her relationship with the cypherites. I guess they figure if she's the mother of the Matrix, as you know, as the architect uh, sort of described her, she, she's got to be all right in their book, I guess. Well, and that's the thing, you know, we're talking about chapter 6.3. I mean, you've got the general trying to make a deal with the Merovingian to get the kill code for the Oracle. So we know that the Merovingian and, you know, that sect is against the Oracle. But I don't remember, you know, the machinists having any type of specific, you know, animosity towards the Oracle character. Oh, no. And we we, we, we liked her. Uh, There's an event. uh, We're way early on this, but... uh... Well, uh, you know, it's way too early to talk about, but I had personal first-hand experience, and we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, back on point, I, 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 uh, one second, my brain is locking up. Okay, um, so again, uh, well, EPN was using the code pulses, which were not code bombs. They used the same animation, but instead of a green code explosion that forcibly awakened people, it was a golden code explosion that like hacked out secrets of the Matrix. Am I, am I right in that? Yeah, it was kind of like um, uh, data mining on steroids. Yes. Um, the thing about that is because they <laughs> they resembled the code bomb so much and were disarmed in a similar manner, some of us machinists, I'm taking some credit for this, we, uh, we sort of had disinformation campaigns saying they were code bombs and they were dangerous and it behooved the... Uh, truce following Zionites to help us shut those down. Complete lies, complete disinformation. Uh, I th- I think I lied to Niobe and got her to, to misunderstand it at one point. Um, but back on point, the fact that they explode into gold code is interesting because that was previously associated with Seraph. Uh, whether that's just a coincidence or not, I don't know. And, and speaking of Seraph, holy, we're skipping over Seraph seemingly dying. When in the cinematic, uh, the bunch of the general's men grab Sati into their helicopter, Seraph jumps after them. A whole bunch, I think it takes four or five, just grab all his limbs and shove him off of the helicopter and into the aqueduct. 
the same aqueduct where the assassin, you know, had his barge, the same aqueduct where the uh, agents dumped the cheat codes. Yeah. But so uh, they... for now, Seraph seems dead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so the, the remaining 65% of the cheat codes were, uh, as you explained, purposefully, for some uh, reason unknown to most players at this point, um, dumped into the aqueduct uh, on, on advice from the Oracle by the agents. That's, again, not 100%, but it seems to fit all the facts we have. They, they asked the Oracle for some advice. She asked for a lot in return. That's the next major thing the machines did. It just seems to fit that. Uh, it seems to like a logical explanation for why they do something so incredibly reckless. Um, so Sarah seems that the elite commandos, we've seen a progression. The commandos typically wore, you know, green sweater vests and berets, very militaristic types with those red insignia. Now they they're decked out in these almost Metal Gear like skin tight sneaking suits that make them hard to detect and immune to the EMP kill codes. And uh, they were wearing the goggles at this point, right? It's important. Yeah, it was like a single goggle. So that I think it was a goggle with a single single red lens that had a red trail when it moved. So they had the red insignia. Now they got the red trails and something back. weren't there Weren't there fake agents that had red glowing eyes? Isn't there that were kind of similar. Yeah, very mm. early on, the red eyed agents. Yes, they and they've been gone for a long time at this point in the story. It seems like there's some sort of connection. Yeah, almost. So yeah, so Seraph uh, attempts to rescue Sati. He goes into the aqueduct. We don't see him for the rest of the subchapter, and uh, so then we have these the, the commandos. They change their their look, so they become a little more impervious. Oh, one 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 more thing. Uh, the Merovingian was trying to get the kill code for the Oracle from the general. So the general, in his big offer to Zion, gave him the cheat codes, and that led to the whole Anom scenario. Then he grabbed Sati, and now, despite his, for dropping for months, leaflets that say, don't trust the Frenchman, he starts working with the Merovingian. So at this point, if there's any, any lingering doubt as to whether or not the general can be trusted, nope. Lazarus, any thoughts on 6.3? No, because, I mean, anything going on in the real world, you know, is kind of before and after this, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of dancing around some stuff that's that's right around yeah. the corner. Uh, one last thing that comes to mind. Uh, the general has a secret fortress in the real world. Well, not so secret at this point. He calls it Stalingrad. For a while, the general had a blog that I'm assuming was run by Paul Chadwick or written by him. I believe it was. Uh, he, ex he expressed a great affinity for Earth's, Earth, sorry, uh, for uh, for mankind's, uh, uh, you know, greatest uh, military leaders like Alexander the Great and Napoleon. And Stalingrad was a pivotal battle in World War II, so it makes sense why he'd call it that. Hey, before the character outros, I just wanted to let you know about the Data Node 1 podcast. It's Data Node 1, all one word, and it's by a fellow named Deacon Blue. His podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, and also hosted on Anchor.fm. And he's had some names like Fuse, Manic Velocity, Neotenny, Maeve, 
Fenshire, and you're not going to believe who he's got for episode 9 coming up. So subscribe to that podcast. I've got a link in my show notes. So enjoy. You have another piece of the puzzle, but it is not yet complete.